Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include active home listings, my interview with Verisk's Kingsley Greenland on climate risk, stress testing, catastrophe modeling, and macroeconomic policy, and housing prices are ratcheting up. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Lenders One. Lenders One is one of the largest co-ops in the country with a diverse mix of 250 plus member companies and offers an end-to-end solution independent mortgage professionals trust to drive profitability and growth. Access to the Lenders One network makes your organization bigger, better, smarter, and more competitive instantly. Becoming a Lenders One member is probably the single most effective action you can take to both grow your business today and set it up for unbridled success tomorrow. Are you selling your house? Me neither. Few people are. There are only about 564,000 active listings. That's 11,000 per state. In California, where there are 58 counties, that's an average of less than 200 per county. In Wyoming, the least populated state, there are 58 counties, so that's 190 listings per county. Of course, averages don't apply like that, but it's important to keep things in perspective and the overarching issue is a continued lack of supply and a strong demand impacting prices, affordability, and sales numbers. Can lighthouses help? Since 2000, about 150 lighthouses have been transferred to new owners. About 80 given away at no cost to agencies, nonprofits, or educational organizations willing to maintain them. And about 70 auctioned off for a total of $10 million so far. This year, six lighthouses are up for offer. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Verisk's Kingsley Greenland to talk about climate risk, stress testing, catastrophe modeling, and macroeconomic policy. He leads the mortgage risk analytics practice at Verisk Extreme Event Solutions and has held various roles in real estate finance covering origination, servicing, private equity, and valuation. So you lead the mortgage risk practice at Verisk. What does that entail? Well, it's mostly focused on providing expert advisory to financial institutions that have some kind of exposure to uh, catastrophe, meaning weather-driven extreme event risk. Uh, That includes banks, uh, sovereigns, and other financial institutions that are involved in the lending space. And so what do you see as the biggest risks to mortgage companies today? Well, top of the stack is catastrophe risk, weather-driven catastrophe risk, in the sense that if the risk exposure isn't well-managed, it has the potential to take down uh, an entire operation. Now, that doesn't mean that it's the type of risk that a bank needs to focus all of their attention on day to day, but it is something that uh, we believe they have to take initial steps to quantify and estimate. And there are additional, more broader concerns to mortgage companies that I think are worth discussing, and, and they relate to catastrophe risk. The first is duration, in that because borrowers are sitting on a generally sub three or sub 4% note rates, whatever your duration was in preceding years, call it five years for a 30-year fixed rate, 
that's going to be higher. So that creates a, a challenge to manage. Uh, I also see risk on the fiscal side, and that's a pretty broad topic. But if you look at the communications coming out of Treasury, that there's not enough cash in the coffers for the federal government to pay its debts, that tells us one of two things. Uh, either we need to reduce the spending side or increase the revenue side of the Treasury. So that means either less debt funding or higher taxes. And neither of those outcomes is particularly positive to the consumer. So that flows at a macro level down into the housing market and into housing finance by extension. Uh, the fourth and final risk that I see is on the automation side. And there are a lot of headlines and a lot of thought pieces saying that you know, AI is going to be uh, one of two things, either an extinction level event for white collar jobs or something a little less benign and really increased margins. The risk I see in that is a loss of institutional knowledge and training opportunities that won't become clear until after these expertise have been wrapped up into some kind of software and people don't know how to manage it. And I can provide an example that I think people in the resi space will appreciate. Uh, anyone who's been involved with a servicing system transfer knows how much of a pain that can get really quickly. And I think the reason for that is that most of those servicing operations have been semi or fully automated, yet the servicing transfer creates an incident where people need to actually think about what's happening in these systems for uh, the first time ever, the first time in many years. And look at all the pain and the chaos that comes with that. So expand that industry-wide if we automate a lot of ideas really quickly. I, I think it opens up some operating risk gaps that are at least worth exploring. How do you balance out your your time throughout the day? What do you what are you spending? Uh, you know, how do you manage your time? And I, I guess uh, what take what's taking priority right now? I spend a lot of time reading, uh, trying to stay on top of uh, several industries at once, you know, both commercial, resi, servicing, investing. I, I really don't want to miss something, so there's there's a bit of a, a coverage side to that. Uh, the other piece is trying to identify uh, the translation between the expertise that we have in-house as catastrophe modelers, which is fundamentally science-driven, and thinking through ways on how I can communicate that to the mortgage industry. Because in many cases, mortgage and insurance speak the same language, they just have different terminology. So a lot of the upfront work for me has been to try to find out where that overlap and similarity is. And we can get into that in a bit is if we want to dive a little deeper into what catastrophe modeling is and kind of how that flows through. Yeah, sure. Can you take us through uh, the stress testing you do and the mm -hmm. catastrophe modeling? Right. And, and, and I think that this is broadly familiar to risk managers within mortgage markets because of the probability of default and loss given default frameworks that you know, we, we've been sitting on for, for many years. Uh, a catastrophe model at its core will look at a series of hazards, be it hurricanes, wildfires, floods, and the parameters of those hazards are scientifically researched and informed. You know, you and I likely don't have an opinion on which direction a hurricane is going to go and how long it's going to spend in a certain zip code. 
but trained scientists do have that expertise and they're able to code it up and put it into a model. And once the catastrophe model looks at whatever the hazard is, there's also a function of the intensity. Is it going to be a big fire or a small fire? Is it going to be strong wind or relatively weaker wind? That's another layer that determines on top of the path, for lack of a better term, how bad the event is. Uh, that information is loaded over the exposure, which for the lender is just a data tape of where the properties are. And much like a interest rate Monte Carlo simulation, we go through this tens of thousands of times. Uh, we have a catalog uh, and other catastrophe models do something similar or they look at not only past events, but if the uh, catastrophe that we've seen before maybe veered left instead of right. You know, how would that flow through? And on top of these forecasts and simulations for where the natural disaster is going to occur, uh, a catastrophe model will, will pull data from past insurance claims to derive a damage estimate. Because we've seen these, although they're rare, infrequent, uh, high severity events, we do have some frameworks such as you know, Katrina, Harvey, where we can pipe that data set into a model and compare and back test against what the uh, observed insurance claims were and, and get a pretty defensible estimate of for a given disaster, for a given peril. Uh, what the risk is and, and what damage a lender can expect to uh, have to grapple with on the property. Um, catastrophe modeling in general is a mature industry. Uh, it's been around for you know, something like 40 years since the late 80s. So this is pretty familiar stuff to the insurance industry broadly. Uh, but the regulatory and social interest in climate change has led to, I think, a increasing demand for folks across financial services to try to say, well, what is, what is my dollar exposure? You know, I'm told over and over again that we have this risk. Is there any way to actually quantify uh, what that is? And catastrophe models fill that role in two ways. One, they provide a current state you know, over the next five years. What is the risk that a Florida property is going to be not only hit by a hurricane, but if the hurricane comes through, what is the damage? And second, having a catastrophe model framework that shows your extreme event risk today is a necessary precondition to roll forward for climate change projections. Because if you say that our concern is that something is going to change, well, change from what? You need to understand the baseline first, and those models exist. They're well audited, well back tested, and popular in other industries. So it's really just a matter of extending that expertise to uh, a tangential market, which is mortgage servicing, resi lending, and commercial. What's the best way for lenders to leverage this data or properly prepare? Well, I think that. That's a twofold question. They they want to look first at the portfolio level because you, you run into this with any model you, you make and that you're going to find cases on the tail end where it doesn't necessarily fit or where you get some outliers. So step one is to take 
your full exposure and say, well, what properties or what pockets of risk am I seeing? And then you would overlay that against what your own perception is. You can look at it in terms of rep lines saying, okay, I have LTV, credit score, debt service coverage, and I'm using these metrics where I think that I have a sense of which loans are risky and which aren't. So overlay that against a catastrophe risk and say, okay, uh, are the loans that I think are prime and pristine sitting right in the bullseye? Or are the loans where I already have some hair, some performance issues, are those also in a flood zone and uninsured? Because that's a separate issue where it's going to be a higher probability of loss. That's one use case. The other that uh, I think lenders are, are pretty bullish on is the opportunity when the industry consolidates opportunities to purchase loans in terms of M&A, bulk sale, home loan purchase, however you want to do it. Look at this new pool and say, does this increase or decrease my existing portfolio exposure? So if I have a large book in Florida, let's say, take a state that would have less catastrophe risk. I'll use Vermont as an example. Uh, that can produce my overall exposure to one risk by helping me diversify. And I can tell up front uh, by using these models what I think that marginal impact is going to be. And how do you see the space continuing to evolve and move forward, uh, I guess, for lenders to make more informed and, and mm -hmm. probably better decisions? Yeah, right. Well, I think that there's something, a couple underlying pieces. One is there's a first mover advantage in that if you're able to identify climate risky or not risky loans early on, you can pick and choose because you have information that your competitors don't. So the early adopters, and I have to exercise a little discretion here, I'm not able to share who we're working with, but the rest of the industry, uh, <laughs> use them as having pretty sharp pencils. So their case is let's get there first and make sure that we're not making any bad mistakes on the climate risk side and potentially offload those loans to people that aren't thinking about it. So that's really great from an investment perspective. Not so great if, say, you're a regulator agency and the broader market might pick up on this before you do. And then suddenly you have this adverse selection issue where someone's selling you all the loans that they don't want based on a risk factor that you're not seeing. Uh, so that's something that we need to keep in mind as the industry moves toward integrating this in the risk management processes. Is that, yeah, there's a first mover advantage, but we also need to keep in mind that some folks might get left behind and you need to manage that risk as well. For those people that are interested in more information or working with you, what are the best next steps? Well, you can reach me on LinkedIn. It's uh, you know active on the platform. It's a good way to get in touch. Uh, and we also have loads of white papers, a lot of public research. That's one of the benefits of, of being in a scientifically driven discipline is that we show and share our work. You know, it's not necessarily proprietary. So if you go to the website, veris.com, Extreme Event Solutions, there, there's more to read than, and I think it'll satisfy quite a few appetites. Awesome. Well, Kingsley, I really appreciate you making the time and talking to me today. And uh, I applaud you for what you're doing and wish you the best of luck. Likewise, Robbie, appreciate it. 
The bad news is that mortgage applications continue to falter. The good news is that we finally had a little rally yesterday as bond markets responded to weekend news that President Biden and House Speaker McCarthy reached an agreement to raise the debt ceiling. Rates had risen of late as fears of a U.S. default gained momentum. A default would force the Treasury Department to pay higher interest on its bonds to convince investors to stick around, with mortgage rates and other borrowing costs tending to follow Treasury rates. In Federal Reserve news, New York Fed President Williams discussed inflation, the labor market, and the importance of price stability yesterday by saying, quote, Inflation remains too high, and high inflation is hardest on those who can least afford to pay higher prices for food, shelter, and transportation, end quote. He explained that the U.S. is seeing signs of a gradual cooling in the labor market, along with a rebound in labor force participation. Still, unemployment nationally remains historically low at 3.4%. The first trading day of a shortened week was headlined by house price indexes. The FHFA house price index was up 0.6% in March after increasing a revised 0.7% in February. The index was up 4.3% year-over-year, with prices in many western states starting to decline for the first time in over 10 years. The fastest-growing states were South Carolina, North Carolina, Maine, Vermont, and Arkansas. The declining states included Utah, Nevada, California, Washington, and D.C. Separately, the Case-Shiller Home Price Index rose 0.7% in March, suggesting that the decline in home prices that began in June 2022 may have come to an end. The S&P Case-Shiller 20-City Home Price Index was down 1.1% in March, with big declines out west, and the southeast remaining the country's strongest region. Today's calendar kicked off with the usual mortgage applications from MBA for the week ending May 26th. Mortgage applications decreased 3.7% from one week earlier, with activity expected to decline again following last week's increase in yields amid increasing odds of a 25 basis points hike at the June FOMC meeting. During the reporting period, 30-year mortgage rates hit new highs for the year, and their highest since last November. Later this morning brings Chicago PMI for May, job openings from Jolts for April, and Dallas Fed Texas Services for May. Four Fed speakers are scheduled. Boston President Collins, Governor Bowman, Governor Jefferson, and Philadelphia President Harker. The latest Beige Book will be released in the afternoon ahead of the June 13th and 14th FOMC meeting. The rest of the week will be dominated by the jobs report on Friday, the last jobs report before the mid-June FOMC meeting. Fed funds futures currently see a 60% chance for another 25 basis point hike, and we begin the day with agency MBS prices better by an eighth to a quarter, and the 10-year yielding 3.65 after closing yesterday at 3.70%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. My girlfriend's dog died, so I bought her another, identical one. She just screamed at me and said, what am I supposed to do with two dead dogs? I don't It's okay. Thanks again to Lenders One, one of the largest mortgage co-ops in the country with a diverse mix of 250 plus member companies and providers of an end-to-end solution, independent mortgage professionals trust to drive profitability and growth. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.